0: we're live welcome in everybody friday on time on time 1 p.m central thank you so much three uh, march 17th i don't know why i think it's like it's almost cinco de mayo i was gonna say that no it's not I, it's almost april fool's though uh have a seat make sure you can hear us okay make sure you can see us okay um hans not legal advice noah Sargent. This guy right here, I just want to keep. I want to keep giving him props. That Tesla bull stampede panel with Sandy, Corey, Pierre, Dave, Rob, Sam, Herbert, Alexandra, everybody. This guy right here in his company, CorporateStreams.com. He donated his time to make it happen, y'all. Insane. Thank you so much. If you want a solution. Uh, for your own stuff, for whatever you're thinking about doing, check out Noah. He is phenomenal. Uh, let's do the real quick um, update from Not Legal Advice. Uh, give us our, your 30-second update, and then we'll get into our discussion. There's a lot to talk about today, y'all. So
1: yeah, we we'll get was, started. Go ahead. I was blabbing off the side, so I apologize. okay are you? Um, MM, MMTLP, that's the naked shorting since the last week. Uh, FINRA actually responded yesterday. They sent out an explanation where in the explanation, they admitted that there were short shares that were moved from a public company to a private company. They admitted they made errors in coding, errors in prior disclosures, but in the end they said it was blame it on the brokers. So we we shall see, but it was a change in position because now we have acknowledgement that maybe they knew that there was tax evasion going on. And it also corresponds to the bank collapse and the regulate, I think it corresponds. I think they did it because regulators are under pressure now. So they were probably forced to do, make a statement. Oh, okay. and, and also, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, uh, because of uh, inspiration for both Hans and Farzad and didn't even know they inspired me as to that, but they did for every thousand new subscribers that I get up to a million subscribers, I will donate $50 to the L.A. Children's Hospital. So, and my motto, my motto is, even if you hate me and my content, if you don't hate kids, subscribe and like. (laughs) Guilt
0: tripping is the best form of getting subscribers, Bob. Well done. (laughs) Phenomenal tagline. I think it's going to be massively successful. Y'all, if you don't hate, if you don't subscribe to Not Legal Advice, you hate children confirmed, okay? Like, it's just basically fact, so... (laughs) Thank you, Richard, very much for your update. So one of the things we were talking about before we went live, um, by the way, let me just give a little thing what this is for people that are new to this. Every Friday, we do a community forum. These folks are a part of my community. Uh, You can become part of my community by clicking on join right below this video. Every single Friday we get together and then half of the uh, ad revenue that gets generated from these videos goes into our community fund and my community gets to decide what to do with those dollars, uh, whatever you, whatever the community wants to do. And we're, uh, every single week we're adding, uh, a few bucks to that fund. Uh, we can buy a lot of ice cream with that money right now. Y'all like a lot so much ice cream. But if we wanna donate it to a charity or buy some Starlink for needy folks, well, we can figure that stuff out, too. So consider doing that below. Um, Let's, and and then you also get access to member-only content on Fridays, which is what we'll do right after an hour and a half on here. We'll go to members only, right on YouTube as well. You'll be able able to see that right by clicking on join right below this video. Um, Okay, so we were talking about the bank failure and how it could be, theoretically, uh, it will impact Tesla in a way, and there's other things as well that are that are going on in the in economy that I think are starting to fall on Tesla's lap, and that's sort of the title behind this video. There's just a lot of different things going on. So, uh, Bob, you want to continue that thought process, maybe give a little bit of context around what you were talking about with the bank, with SVB, and sort of the lending environment, and then we'll turn into a conversation. Sure.
1: Yeah, so I was talking about there's certain classes of banks that are now protected. They're called SIFIs, Systematic important financial institutions, and um, we've talked about what the number is. There's not a large number. There might be a dozen. It's it. They'd have to have $250 billion or more of assets, and obviously Silicon Valley Bank was not in that class because they were under $250 billion in assets, and the Fed has come out, and basically Janet Yellen testified in Congress, and she basically said that the smaller community banks will not be protected beyond the insurance limits. It's only going to be the ones that are subject to systematic, uh, that'll be a systematic problem for the total economy. So that means that people will start moving their money, and I think prudently, from the small banks that aren't protected to the big banks, like JP Morgan, et cetera. And, and not all those banks do, for example, car loans or do them competitively. So that means that the market for car loans is gonna either dry up or become more expensive. Either way, it's, it's a bad thing for retail and it's uh, impact of consolidation. So that's one part. The other part was Goldman Sachs was intimately involved in the conclusion of Silicon Valley Bank. The Silicon Valley Bank sold a bunch of securities to raise capital um, in that transaction the buyer was Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs got about something like an 11% discount on that that tranche of securities, which is something on the order of $25 billion in securities. But that was at current interest rates. So maybe down the road when interest rates drop and the value of of the securities go up, they'll have made much more than 11%. On top of that, they negotiated the sale of something like $700 million in bonds that Silicon Valley Bank was stuck with over the weekend. So after the run that weekend, Goldman Sachs went in and negotiated the sale of those bonds, made money on that. At the same time, they were charged with raising capital to save Silicon Valley Bank. That they were not able to do. So that to me, it seemed curious because they seem to have a lot of financial resources and connections. And maybe it wasn't possible to do, but it it's curious. It's something that should be investigated. And I surmise that if Silicon Valley Bank is not there to fund startups and tech companies, the companies that we support, that somebody is going to need to step in. And maybe that someone might be Goldman Sachs or an arm of Goldman Sachs or a fund connected to Goldman Sachs. So I think, I think we need to see the full picture to understand how we got to this point. In addition to the calls, uh, there's calls, I saw it in the Senate, about social media influencing the run on the bank. There were concerns about that. I don't know if the Senate's going to try to impose restrictions or additional remedies against people who speak freely and maybe encourage indirectly a run on the bank. And the comparison was, it, there was 42, million, $42 billion that was removed in one day from Silicon, Silicon Valley Bank, driven a lot by like guys like Peter Thiel and venture capitalists. When Washington Mutual went out of business in 2008, which is the largest institution, I think, to go out of business, its assets were larger than Silicon Valley Bank at that time, they had $16 billion in withdrawals over 10 days, just to give you kind of the, the difference. So something intervened to spur the run. And if that's venture capitalists who killed the bank for their own benefit, those guys need to be held accountable also. And all that goes to the disadvantage of retail because the way I see it, if you have to cover losses, that's all inflationary and that's all bad for us. So that was a rant. Thanks.
0: No, it was great. No, go ahead.
2: I was curious, Bob, do you know, like I'm I'm assuming like encouraging a run on the bank is right now not illegal. Is that what you're saying? Like, that
1: should be evaluated to see if that's something that the government should step in for? Well, I think you have to examine what the motivation was. If the motivation is that you think it's, it's prudent to do, fine, I'm not gonna argue about that. But if the motivation is because you think you're gonna pick up a piece of business and it's a way of putting somebody else out of business, which I'm sure happens, Not all the time but i'm sure happens that's something else and that since it affects us that's something that should be at least examined
0: so let let me explore this thought real quick um so one of the comments you made is that as uh the fed raises rates and more uh strict rules are either imposed by banks themselves or regulations that makes uh lending more difficult or just unprofitable because of the uh economics of the situation with the interest rates being higher and demand being lower the economy where it's at it's going to become tougher and tougher for folks to get loans uh and take out debt to purchase things which in this case if we're talking about one of the markets that the four of us are interested in say the auto market in theory it's going to become harder and harder to take out loans for cars uh, that are becoming more and more expensive. Like the average new car price is $50,000 now. It's a luxury item. <laughs> Being a owner of a vehicle, somehow in the United States has become a luxury. It hasn't become a thing that everybody's able to do anymore, it seems like. At least a, a, a good car. And so um, what, what are the implications of that, right? Like if we're in a, in a situation where all these things that are happening is gonna make it harder for people to take out loans for cars, how will car companies survive? How is Tesla gonna fare in this environment? What are you guys thinking is there is there anything going through your mind when I say those words? I would, I'm curious to hear if somebody has any thoughts around that um, Go ahead Noah
2: My understanding right now is Tesla outsources their financing like to other banks so with you know putting the puzzle pieces together, could Elon use Twitter create some sort of money monetary branch and use that to fund these loans? to help compensate for the unstableness of the banking system right now. Like, does that make sense? That question?
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. So so it's kind of like, wh- what can Tesla do to almost like provide their own loans? Is, is that the sort of question you're asking? Yeah, yeah. And if yeah. he's
2: going to, if he's going to leverage, um, you know, Twitter and kind of the x.com concept, like to do that. I don't know if that's a possibility.
0: How are you guys thinking about that? Any thoughts? Go, go forward, Hans. Go. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I know
3: that, you know, this is something that Zach has talked about specifically doing the captive financing within Tesla and Tesla has the cash reserves for it. It's very capital intensive. Uh, you have to have quite a bit of cash in order to do the captive financing. Um, and so that's one of the reasons they haven't done it up to now but on one of the earnings calls uh, recently may have even been q4 it was something that they discussed just that it's constantly being examined and that they'll get into it if they need to um yeah if we do see liquidity for loans drying up and interest rates getting high i think that tesla even if they're they don't do it for all of their car sales will probably enter the market just to put that competitive pressure on auto finance the same way that they've done with insurance to where they're not insuring all Teslas, but they are insuring some Teslas and they're putting a check on the rest of the market and forcing them to provide competitive rates. So I could definitely see something there. Now, whether it will be integrated with Twitter, I think is not likely in the short term, but very possible in the long term. I think it's going to be a while Uh, before all of the functionality for X that Elon has in mind for Twitter to come to be. I think that the code base was so awful when he got in that in order for them to do the rewrite that's necessary to lay the groundwork, to do all the things that he wants to do, is going to take him a little bit longer than he expected initially. Um, But yeah, I do think that all of that will get worked out and then As Twitter is able to grow their both user base and their the monetization that they have on their users, that they'll start to gobble up more and more liquidity, and that is something that I hope for. Like all of the banking crisis over the past week has definitely put a spotlight on the need for a very well-run, properly risk-managed financial institution that is digitally native, that has all the proper safeguards in place to like, you know, one of the things that they've been saying on the All In podcast recently is that it is just unconscionable that the Fed did not know that all of these banks <laughs> yeah. were in this type of upside down situation. And so either they didn't know and they lied to us or sorry, I'm either they didn't know Um, or they lied to us. Like those are the options because Jerome Powell was just saying, no, I don't see any systemic risk in banking. Everything's fine. Either one is bad. And it's just another data point in a long list of two years of the Fed being not exceptionally great at their job. You know, inflation is transitory. Oh no, it's not. Oh, we're not going to raise rates. Oh yes. We're going to raise rates to the moon in the course of six months. Like They've just been all over the place. And just like Ilana said, it's because they're trying to steer the car, looking in the mirror, and it's not working. And we have all the digital tools to be able to see the data that you need to be able to drive this car looking at out the windshield and we're not using it. And so I think that's one of the things that Elon definitely plans to incorporate into whatever finance PayPal successor that he builds so that at least some Part of the financial infrastructure is working properly and is up to date with the world that we live in.
0: Bob, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, my next video, I just found the title. It's going to be Regulators Suck. <laughs> because they clickbait. <laughs> because, they, and, and with all due respect, and I hate that term, I, I think it's with all appropriate respect is what it is. And there's not much that should be due. Um, but I find regulators just generally are incompetent or there's enough that are incompetent. And there's a reason they're not working at Goldman Sachs. They're working, you know, somewhere else, you know, there is a talent issue. I'm sure people are driven by other things, but often, unfortunately, in government talent may not necessarily be at the highest level compared to private industry. So I think as a result, regulators suck. Um <laughs> as to um and you were talking about like uh that the fed was asleep at the wheel i'm going to get to the point You said the fed was asleep at the wheel any any institution that was less than 250 billion in assets didn't have a stress test so they would not know so, that was the
0: Dodd-Frank repeal yes, right from 2018 yeah.
1: they apparently the fed can if they decide they can still do it to institutions uh, at 100 billion dollars but i guess they've never done it because it's a very expensive for the institution because they have to have specific supervision and more accounting whatever so we but obviously maybe it might have been a good to do it for silicon valley bank um gm i was thinking about in terms of financing you were talking about legacy how are the, you know how can they possibly what can they do all these companies are like just trying to convert They don't have, like, extra money and time and effort to deal with the financing now if they can't place their their financing. Um, I think it gives such an advantage to Tesla to do their in-house financing, and we were kind of talking about it um, off off before. One of the reasons is because the Teslas are going to depreciate so much slower than ICE cars. Because they have one, they have just a longer life. So the depreciation is going to be at a much slower pace. So if you default on a loan, a car loan to Tesla, and they have to go back and get the car, the loss is going to be much smaller than if it was an ICE car where the depreciation happens as soon as you drive it off the lot. So I think, one, it's going to help close tons of transactions. Two, I think the risk is low. And three, you know, we talked about what they can do with the cash besides building factories. Should they do a buyback? I'd much rather them finance the sale of unlimited cars at margins forever than have buybacks. My personal opinion.
0: I think that's such a fascinating point because the whole, if the notion of a electric vehicle with autonomy, it being forget an appreciating asset a very slowly depreciating asset let's just give it somewhat the, the benefit of the no, let's not give it the benefit of doubt and say it will depreciate right although one could very easily make the argument that it won't but let's just say it does but not nearly as fast as an ice car the uh the context of put that within the context of a affordable tesla like at that twenty five thousand dollars compact the lease payment for this thing it becomes like nothing, right? If you drive it off the lot at 25,000, and because it's autonomy, because it's autonomous, it has a giant amount of value attached to it, and then it's also electric, which is going to be, if we're correct, in extremely high demand. In theory, the depreciation shouldn't be much. Let's just say it depreciates 5,000 bucks over three years, not even. The lease payment is just that number divided by 36 months for a three year, right? plus the interest expense, right? So 5,000 divided by 36 is what? Let's just do some stupid math, right? 5,000, which I'm very good at. I'm very good at stupid math, because I'm very bad at it. It's 138 bucks. It's 138 bucks plus say 6% interest, 150 bucks a month. You theoretically, if the depreciation, if the assumption around depreciating asset is correct, that we have with this compact car, gonna be able to drive this thing off the lot with a lease without the ev tax credit y'all <laughs> without the ev tax credit for like 150 bucks a month and then you have a 30 a month electric bill like in texas where you pay 30 bucks a month to only charge overnight but that's your fuel cost basically if you, your uh situation is able to accommodate that so you go up to 180 bucks a month and then uh the insurance Tesla will offer the insurance. It's a self-driving car capable. It's going to be extremely safe. You have the Tesla app with Tesla insurance. That's going to it's going to encourage you to drive as safely as possible. You have a car that's not nearly as expensive as a uh, Model Y or three, and if it has the same safety capabilities as the rest of the Teslas, your risk of injury or death should be extremely low. So the insurance cost should be quite low for that car. Eighty bucks a month. 50 bucks a month, I don't know what that number is, but let's just say somewhere around or less than a hundred bucks a month, you'll be able to drive a brand new zero down Tesla compact car for like 250 bucks a month with all in costs. And how is that not the craziest value proposition ever? And then within the context of the systematic failure of banks that we're going through right now, where lending is going to become difficult, Tesla has every incentive imaginable in the world to offer their own a financing capability especially if they're in a situation where they can generate as much cash as they have been into the future which basically turns them into a bank of sorts so the question becomes like how much risk is there behind it how much cash should they need to be able to fund this right but like the possibility opens up and this really works in in this sort of environment where evs depreciate at a very low or negligible amount because of autonomy and the technology and uh, there is a forcing function for getting affordable cars out there, right? So just, you guys tell me if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, but it seems, like, it seems like it's a no-brainer for Tesla to do something like this. And it's, it's almost inevitable,
1: right? I think, I think you were overstating the cost because it's because of the life of the car being longer, the loans can be longer too. Because you, know, you can't have a, a 10-year loan uh. on uh, a Pacer because it's going to be dead in five years. But a Tesla that's gonna last 15 years, you could have a 10 year loan. So that $138 payment might be a $100 payment or a $95 payment. And on top of that, the way that is constructed, FSD is gonna be more than the car. And, and you know the cost of FSD, mm. is you're gonna tack that on at the end, right? Because you're gonna want autonomous driving. If, you're, if your cost of uh, ownership is 150 bucks a month, including insurance, you could spend another hundred bucks a month, hundred and fifty bucks a month on FSD, and that's gonna, you know, basically remove any risk, and that's all profit.
0: Mm. That's great. So that sounds insane, right? Because you, you think about like the marketing campaign for this. What, the marketing campaign. So when this compact car is unveiled, it's like you can buy. I'll try to do my best, Elon. And Impro- actually, I'm not even gonna try. You can uh, you can. <laughs> Sorry, Elon, if you're watching this, I'm not going to embarrass myself and you in, this, in, this, in, the, in the same uh, breath. Uh, compact car. Check out this car. We, we know it's not going to depreciate. We know it's going to be extremely valuable. That's what they're not going to say. What they're going to say is you'll be able to uh, buy this car or lease this car. You know, you can you can purchase this car for 100 bucks a month. Like, and, and, and then the math theoretically backs that up as long as there's low depreciation and the autonomous stuff turns out to be a value out to the car. If those two things are true, there's no reason why Tesla can't do that. There's zero, and they'll make money on that hundred bucks a month. And then when you get it for a hundred bucks a month, they'll every, every week, the screen will be like, dude, have you tried self-driving yet? Have you tried self-driving yet? It's going to be sick. 150 bucks a month do it you won't even have to drive like it just the story tells itself it's like you know
1: go ahead well you would give you would give away the full self-driving for 60 days 90 days anyway yeah like here honda's been saying yeah here he is and you're done i mean once you are got it you're not going to back off
0: right
2: what once they solve full self-driving like is there any reason for them to sell us a car though like that that to me i think is the another like fork in the road or turning point of like why would they even sell us a car at that point? Like like you're saying, if it's a monthly fee, um, the full self-driving is worth more than the hardware Then sell the software. You know, software as a service, so to speak, and the hardware is almost included or factored in, you know, especially if the cost of the hardware continues to drop at such a crazy rate. Like it's, it's all about software as a service at that point. Does that make sense or no? Yeah, this
3: is definitely a point that Zach and Jesse have been talking about for a long time. I think that just from a regulatory standpoint and a competitive landscape standpoint, that Tesla will not take a huge role in operating. They may have some fleet services at the margins, but I think that they will sell it now. They may not sell it to us. It may be to somebody like Hertz or, you know, whoever the EV Ubers of the future that are operated autonomously are. But yeah, there'll probably be some sort of a fleet manager that they don't have to take flack for becoming just a complete monopoly on transport. So, And there
1: may be a gap in time. I think there'll be a gap in time between solving full solving, self-driving and getting regulatory approval. That could be years. So you could you could sell the service. It works perfectly but we can't sell it as full self-driving and that would be and but people would still buy it, it you know they, they would know what it would what it functioned as but i'm expecting you know to get full approval that's going to take a while so that's
0: yeah go ahead
2: no i uh, yeah, i think they'll just keep selling it as a beta and the beta will last for five more years <laughs> or more you yeah know, you never know what's up Ishan?
0: what's up Ishan? You you catching any of this conversation you're muted, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: yeah, just a bit, just a bit. But yeah, I I kind of agree with what Noah was saying. Yeah, it's just going to be a beta forever.
0: Yeah, I think the way I still feel like it's going to be somebody per, per Johan, I don't know if you can feel, pull up this uh, comment, producer wife, but uh, per Johan said people will still want to own their cars. You know, they, they'll still want to own the cars and I 100% agree. And I think Tesla will definitely give the option for people to own their cars. I think the, the thing that's become, yeah. And thank you for uh, becoming a member, by the way. Appreciate you, Per Johan. If you want to do that, join button right below this video. A hey, plug, plug, plug. Um, the, the, the ownership will still remain. The one thing that I learned from my discussion yesterday, so I had uh, um, Ray and Zach from Car Edge, and these folks have been in the auto industry for a long time. Ray is a uh, auto dealer veteran and he's been helping just you and I regular people get the best deals at an auto dealership. And the biggest thing that I learned which I think a lot of us at least in the states intuitively know is that what most people want when they go and buy a car is they want the best bang for your buck for a specific monthly payment. And that's how most car shoppers buy their cars. You know there are people that buy their car, you know they buy them cash or buy them used. But a, what I learned is that a large percentage of people, when they go to a dealership, they want to be like, they always ask them, what's your monthly payment? How much do you want to pay? Uh, 350, 400, right? And then, the, and then the, the, the salesman goes like, okay, check out this Ford Escape with the uh, weather things. And you're like, piece of crap. Give me more car, right? And you haggle. And you haggle to try and figure out what's the best car you can get at that monthly payment this incentivizes and then and then within the context of you put this within our current thing our current thing right now which is there's no affordable cars there is a huge need for a company to come in with a car that's compelling that won't break the bank with all-in costs Uh, meaning it won't cost more than say 400 bucks a month all-in to own the car Generally, from what I learned again, is that a good rule of thumb is to have an affordable car when you're uh, just it's, in America. At least so this is this is numbers for the United States. You don't want to put more than ten to fifteen percent of your monthly gross take-home income into a car payment. And the average American nowadays pay, uh, earns about thirty-five 000 to forty thousand dollars a year. If you divide that by the month, is somewhere between three thousand to thirty-five hundred bucks a month ish uh, for uh, take-home pay. So that means a car payment that shouldn't be any more than say 350, call it 300 to 400 bucks a month. This is where Tesla has the ability to come in and say all in cost for this car, lease, fuel, insurance, maintenance, 400 bucks a month, 300 bucks a month, 350 bucks a month. And as soon as you do that, 80% of the buyers for that car are just going to frick anybody who's in the market for a car will look at that car. They have to look at it because it's so freaking affordable. And you think about the, the, the feature set that Tesla offers from a value perspective, you have your infotainment, you have your comfort, you have your safety, you have self-driving, you have an EV performance, right? Low battery to the ground. You got your, uh, instant torque, you know, the huge majority of the population hasn't experienced an electric drivetrain taking off the line and it feeling like a roller coaster. That in itself is a selling point. If you can do that at 400 bucks a month all in, everybody's going to want to look at that car. Every single person, you know? And when I say 80 single every single person, I really mean 80 to 90% of the population. That's where Tesla can win. Yet they'll still allow people to buy the car. But that's going to be the primary driver of vehicle sales for Tesla in the future, I think. Go ahead, Ishan. Yeah, or okay. a lot of people want to go. Ishan, then Noah, then Bob.
4: Okay, no. So, aren't we there already? I remember. I think it was one of your videos, right? Uh, where we were talking like sub two hundred fifty bucks a month for your car payment on a Tesla today with the you know incentives coming in, um, and if you then tack on Tesla insurance and you know charging doesn't really cost a lot. I think we might be at that that sub four hundred dollar number today,
0: not right? not yet. No? the model three close. lease is three fifty, yeah, close three fifty insurance for that car is probably going to be at least a hundred bucks on average ish, so that's already four fifty mm-hmm. and then uh electricity is going to be another fifty to a hundred bucks, yeah yeah
4: 500.
0: but but the thing is the model three is not mass market, like they can't do millions of model threes a year, right? so they're still capacity constrained with the model three. So even though they might be able to do it at that price it's not going to drive you're not going to flood but the market then, with these cars.
4: Think about this. Uh I think what you were talking about is in I think not all states but a bunch of states that have additional incentives. That's true. Uh that's where we are actually you know it just sort of shaves off another 100 125 of that uh, lease or you know monthly payment. And I think that brings us down at least in some states right? So I would presume that for somebody who's looking for an affordable car in those states, I mean, a Model 3, a WinFast maybe now. WinFast, <laughs> what? Uh, I think from yesterday's conversation, it's uh, sub to close to that $250 range, sure. right? Sure. Yeah. So I think th- there is no ICE vehicle that is in that range except maybe a Corolla, right?
0: Not even. Uh, for zero down doesn't exist no um and that's another thing too it's like it's that much a month with zero dollars down the model 3 lease is 350 with forty five hundred dollars down this compact car would be 400 bucks a month or 350 bucks a month all in with no money down that's the opportunity that's the opportunity that tesla has noah and then bob
2: i think we'll be dragging our feet but if we look at the the software model like you know if you're the clock 15 20 years uh, adobe used to sell like a large thousand dollar package thousands of dollars for their software and then so did microsoft office right and now it's the subscription model where you pay every month or every year for your thing um uh oh i I hear a joke coming on but um yeah so for me i think the i'm i'm in the same boat as the person who had the comment before of like i thought i wanted to own my car but the reality is that that car times out so like when you have a car that's five or 10 or 15 years old it gets old, right? But if you have a subscription type service, you're always getting the latest and the greatest thing, so to speak. Like, and that's the thought of having it um with a, a shorter shelf life and more updates.
0: Sure. Bob.
1: Yeah. As Noah and shout out to Rodman. Uh, as we're from California, so we're attached to cars. So I think it's a cultural thing. So if you're come from a culture where people are a car is a possession you have to kind of get to the next generation before you're going to be able to change that. And that certainly can be taught. So people can be taught not to own cars, but for a guy like me, uh, I always kind of want to own my own car. And in California, there's probably a lot of people like that. My kids are much less likely to need to own a car and they, and they act that way, by the way. So I think you know we have to kind of get through me and then maybe down the road will there will be a shift and ownership will not be important as a culture.
0: Hans, any thoughts?
3: I mean, I think the economics will be the ultimate driver there. That there's a lot of people that would love to own a car but can't afford one. And if you offer them a great option to have an amazing travel experience in a car that they don't own for prices that they can more than afford. It'll drive a huge amount of demand and volume there and create a market that doesn't exist today. Um, But there'll yeah still be lots of people who for whether it's sentimental reasons or just their personal preference reasons or even business reasons that they actually do need to own their vehicle. And so it'll be both things for quite a while. Like it's not going to be a wholesale
2: transition overnight one direction or the other. I think you no? should do a poll and try to figure out, I don't know if it makes sense to do like Great one idea. of the short term versus the long term. Like, what do you think in the next year, would you ever want to, you know, just go Robo taxi hundred percent or 10 years from now, envisioning that robotaxis taxis are, you know, 95% or something, um, you know, whatever you want to formulate there for us. Well, are um, we, are but, we
0: trying, are we trying how about this? Go ahead.
2: If
4: uh, we gave you back your car payment for the next week, so the next month, say, would you Uber uh, for the whole month of April? We're going to cover your car payment. And fuel.
0: Well, if as long as Uber costs the same as whenever you would need the car, right?
4: I mean, that's really the thing, right? I mean, how many people uh, are actually using their vitals to the extent that it's more expensive to Uber? Yeah.
0: I bet you it and depends you would, on when you take this, where you take this poll, right? Cause I bet you here in the States and we should try it. So producer wife, how can we word this? Like, uh, 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 would you rather, would you rather use an Uber or own a car? If the cost to own that car, that thing was exactly the same every month. Is that, is that the question? That's or no?
4: very theoretical. I would probably ask, I'm going to give you for the month of April your entire car payment plus what you uh, pay for fuel, and I'm going to take that car away. Would you rather Uber? Would you, would you take that deal? Simple.
0: I think everybody would say no. <laughs> you know? In the United States, well, because the, people love... We yeah. never
4: know. It's you know, There's, it's no, just know. for a month. It's just for a month. It's There's just anything. for a month, and if it saves you 100 bucks in these
2: difficult times... I can already times, tell you what you know. the answer is. <laughs> There's a timing thing too because obviously right now if I call an Uber, my average time is probably seven minutes, whereas a robo taxi is probably like maybe a minute, two minutes, like because I live in a major city, right? I, there, there's a lot of things happening in my area, so obviously it's going to depend on the person and if they're more rural versus more city. So there's a lot of variables here, I'm sure, but I don't know.
0: I think I think the I should I should go ahead, Bobby. We're going to say something and then I'll I'll share my. No, you're good. So I think the the equation works. When the Uber solution is cheaper than owning a car. I think if it's the same price, people will take the car a hundred percent of the time because it's like, well, you never know. Well, you never know, right? And yeah, go
1: ahead. And and we don't care if the Uber is a Tesla, right? Exactly. Yeah. If it ends up being a cycle of that competing car is a Tesla, then we win that way too.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that it works once that Uber or robotaxi solution, whatever we want to call that thing, is at a at a price where the person is willing to forego the option to use their own vehicle that they feel like the Uber might not immediately solve, but they're willing to wait. But they need some sort of uh break. Looks like Ishan's going a uh, ghost mode. Uh. Here's a uh, super chat from uh, Shuriken48. Thank you so much for the $11 Canadian. Uh, that's like what, $2 US or something? I'm kidding. Thank you so much. Uh, I am sure that at the beginning of the 20th century, people loved their horses, but in the space of 20 years, almost no one bought one. So not sure why it would be different with cars. And I and I tend to agree with that. I tend to agree with that. I just I think that it has to be deflationary for it to really be mass market in my opinion. It can't be a uh, uh, cost parity, yeah. Go on.
3: Yeah, I love the time frame of 20 years because I do think we're going to see a massive transformation of the energy infrastructure over that time and the cost of electricity is going to be a lot lower. And so, you know, a lot of people, especially on the bare side of the argument, think that this transition to EVs is going to take a long time for a whole host of reasons. But, you know, I think that they're just not properly appreciating the economics of the situation that <clears throat> right now the economics are forcing us to basically add all of our generation capacity in solar, which is also forcing us to need a large installation of batteries to the grid that help buffer the renewable energy in our utilities. And by doing that, like we're going to be able to have much larger amount of electricity available at the same or lower prices compared to today, and it's gonna be from renewable sources. And so it's gonna cost you less to fuel your Tesla, which is gonna use less energy in the future than it uses today. Um, And so it's kind of a double whammy. And so the economics of that compared to ICE vehicles are just gonna get further and further and further apart as we move forward in this technological transformation. Um, And so you know, that's why the trans the transition will happen much sooner than people appreciate. And like you said, in 20 years, it's going to make zero sense. Like it's going to cost you so much more money to actually use a gas car as any sort of daily driver. Like, sure, there will be race cars. And like, you know, you'll have your boutique, just like people still race horses today people will still race ice cars 20 years from now. That's literally the only place that you're going to see them at some point
1: in the much sooner future than people realize. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest risk is that the competitors, you know, the competitors are coming are just going to be terrible. And, you know, that graph that we have, that dead zone graph that we come back and forth on, you know, we, we want obviously Tesla to kill everybody else, all the competition but we want there to be competition. We don't want them to be just gone. And, you know, every time something happens, we kind of look at it, you know, oftentimes in a way that's most favorable to Tesla in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things, every like Nick, the GM and Ford and everybody else. And I'm referring specifically to this country because in China, it doesn't seem to be the problem. But in this country, we can't make cars, you know, really just Tesla. And that's mm-hmm. a problem. You know, that really that's is a problem.
3: problem. The Koreans are also in a pretty good position because not only, you know, are they making decent EVs now, they're definitely further ahead on their ramp in a lot of ways, but they also have a lot of domestic battery manufacturers who are good. So not only do you have BOID and CATL and some of these battery producers from China, but then Korea has Samsung and LG And there are no slouches when it comes to battery manufacturing. And so I think that is a structural advantage to the Koreans in the long term on their transition to EVs. Um, They are going to have a tough road to hoe here in the United States just because they're not going to have the incentives favor them the way that GM and Ford will have here in the U.S. Um, But, I mean, listening to John McElroy yesterday on his auto line after hours episode i've never heard john as down on u.s car manufacturers as he was yesterday and the fact that he is seeing some of the things that he's seeing and saying some of the things that he's saying now even though he is like the definition of the auto old boys club insider like that should be spelling major warning flags you know people
0: aren't going
2: to listen but that's
0: scary it's cause for concern go ahead Noah.
2: i think we we have to evaluate what a car's value truly is like what does it do like the primary value and uh, all the other values right it gets us from point a to point b like it gives us some people it gives us status like it gives us convenience to go immediately but what's the you know cost of that obviously there's the monetary thing you have to store it somewhere you have to put energy and fuel into it somehow some way so i think thinking about these from like that bigger perspective will help inform that future of do we think that um you know from first principles and that fundamental level will people still want to continue the way it is you know like being comfortable having the car in their driveway um and are does that future continue in that way or is the future different because of the technology is changing and the value is changing the offerings different you know
0: that's a phenomenal question what a segue so i have a i have a tweet that i ran a couple days ago it was a poll can you bring that up producer wife and then i would love to replicate that same exact poll here with this youtube crowd um because it speaks directly to why do people buy a car now this is an unscientific poll it's not a uh, representative of the of the US economy it's not representative of nothing it's just representative of people that follow me and people that follow me like Tesla <laughs> okay so so think about it this but I don't know if there's any sort of correlation but we should run this exact poll producer wife in YouTube as well with the, the same exact verbiage and then see if we can get the data set to marry up because if it does then it's sort of a, a validation of how Tesla buyers think about buying cars in in a general sense, you bought your last car because of its uh, looks, performance features, utility, affordability, and value. Not sure see results. The one thing that I always heard from uh, the, the bear side and some of the folks like drew Dixon, for example, who's somebody I really respect, and he tries to be more sort of even handed. But the thing is like, Hey, well, people buy cars because of how it looks. It's a huge thing. And most people buy because, buy because of how the, how the cars look. So based on this poll, again, non-scientific, 36.3% of people bought a car because of features and utility. So this is like, what does the car offer? You know, space, um, uh, I guess things like the type of drivetrain maybe. It has nothing to do with looks, performance, or affordability and value. 35.7% is affordability and value. So truly, what's the bang for your buck and how much am I paying for this thing? and then 20% were looks and performance, right? So the the 80-20 rule that I kind of see here, again, with Tesla buyers, it seems, is that most buyers uh, really go after bang for the buck, and what does the car do for me? Like, how useful is it, right? And looks and performance is like a distant third. It's not even part of the equation almost, right? It's 20% of of the results. So let's go ahead and, and run that same exact poll here on YouTube and see what we get. Any thoughts around that poll result? Noah, does that sort of help paint a picture, Bob? Right, go Noah and then Bob.
2: Sure, 100%. Yeah, and for me, I, I'm like reflecting in my mind of like the last two purchases. So my, the truck, for me, I have a 2016 uh, Ram 1500. So that is pretty much utility, right? So I... Um, Film stuff for a living. I throw gear. I, I'm a carpenter sometimes too. I, I do fun stuff. CorporateStreams.com. CorporateStreams.com. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Um, and so I bought that because I need a work truck. Like I need to take things, I need to haul a, a trailer, a 7,000 pound trailer. That's why I bought that. We bought the model Y for my wife primarily because of safety features or, and so that was f- feature slash utility so both of those vehicles for me fell under that um and and that's why i have the cars i have but yeah that definitely is an interesting poll and i'd love to hear more
0: yeah Go ahead, Bob.
1: yeah so i would phrase it more as a law school uh poll so for me i was thinking back and i've owned a lot of cars since i was 16 and i'm my answer would have been Looks and performance and features and utility, so I would add one, one and two, two and three, three and four. That, um, so to me, that's what would have applied to me.
0: Okay, Ishan? I, and then Hans. Two things.
1: Good, good. Ahead.
4: So uh, two oh, things. Uh, uh,
0: uh,
2: uh, uh, good. <laughs> kidding.
4: This is the wrong audience to ask this question. No, I think. Uh, Everybody here loves the one company that provides all three in the same car. So that's one. Second thing, I just had a thought while that question popped up. Uh, Last year in the US, the average uh, price of a new car was $48,000, right? So what's that in terms of a monthly payment? And if you're doing like-
0: 750 bucks.
4: 750 bucks, and then you add insurance and everything, it goes up to close to 1,000. And wait, over a thousand. Um, this is just for EVs. I mean, we're talking probably 1200, 1400 bucks if you're driving gas, right? So it just puts things into perspective, right? The average person makes forty thousand dollars a year and is probably paying.
0: Yeah, there's there's 30, like 30 a year and a half
3: a yeah. yeah, a year and a half to two years. Of annual salary, yeah, to drive around, especially if they're driving a truck or a big, you know, suburban Tahoe, big SUV. Yeah, it's crazy, and that was and one of the points. Of that course, John the, it is Roy a little made. bit skewed.
4: You would find that um, the more affluent uh, side of the population would be buying the newer cars, whereas perhaps the not so affluent would be gravitating towards use. But it just puts things into perspective, right? I mean, bang for the buck is probably going to be like a very important driver, uh, especially as times get harder.
3: Yeah, I just take it back to the chart from Arc about the distribution of the number of car sales at various price points. And, you know, the 33, 35% of people who said that it's purely based on value and entry price that those are going to be people that just don't have as much disposable income to spend on their vehicle. Sure. You know, if they had the financial means, they would love to buy a car for looks and performance reasons, but they're just not in a financial position to be able to do that. And so, yeah, they are purchasing on a whole different set of metrics because that's what is within their capability. But maybe with the compact, they can get
1: both. Well, maybe they they can get a higher quality of car for an affordable price.
0: Exactly.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's my mental framework for the $25,000 Tesla is, you know, what if you could drive a Porsche Boxster that never broke down, that only costs you $25,000 to get into? Oh, and by the way, it could haul three times as much stuff as your Porsche Boxster. How many people are going to be interested in buying that car? Like if Porsche could produce that car at eighteen or $19,000 cogs all in, what should Porsche be worth?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh and by the way, it, it can drive itself at some point. Right? Right? Oh, and by the way, you can watch movies on it. Oh, and by the way, you know, there's like all these different mm-hmm. things that that you have access to the supercharger network, which is everybody's worried about, right? All these different things start to layer on um no i wasn't sure if you were gonna say something
2: i just have more wild thoughts about the future but like so for me um i said the truck right so for me a cyber van is also in my future for sure i I might have to get the e-sprinter which comes out this summer because my business is growing and i need something sooner than i don't know how long maybe two or three years minimum for the cyber van but i'm just envisioning the future of like um, a cybervan cyberbots or uh, you know Tesla bots, and having maybe one crew member who's like running the show kind of thing, and just having bots to help support that future and uh, I don't know if we want to switch subjects, but I mean there's lots of th- thoughts there we can talk about
0: yeah i I think for me I just just to wrap up this this card discussion is the the for me, and we talked about this on the discord, which you get access to if you click on join right below this video, I'm getting so good at these bloods uh the It seems like a lot of the bull thesis uh, framework that a lot of Tesla investors have had around Tesla becoming this dominant force and the legacy auto is going to suffer tremendously because of it. And you're going to have a dynamic where you will only have one or very few players that are going to be able to go down market and uh it's all about securing the supply chain so that you can be you can create affordable cars it's finally finally starting to play out i think i believe and i think uh, a few of us agree on this panel maybe all of us the fact that gm ford all these legacy automakers are not going down market they've been going up market this whole time and if they do decide to go down market means giant margin crush for them uh, because they're going to not only be shifting to a thing that's going to be um, mass volume, which in their heads they can only do by lowering their margin because they don't have the competency or the skill set to get to that parallel manufacturing process that Tesla is implementing. Um, it's going to be a, a huge hurt to their profitability, and they're going to have to carry their legacy factories, their legacy debt, their legacy talent, right? Everything they have to carry with them into a brand new world that they don't know how to handle. Look at Ford's recent quarterly reports. Look at Ford, Jim Farley's statements. It tells the whole picture, and you can watch how GM channel stuff the hell out of everything and all the things that are going on with them shutting down plants, letting people figure like you can leave if you want like they don't even know what they got <laughs> right you got volkswagen showing their compact car which we don't even know what the performance is going to be or how much it's going to like truly cost and all the other stuff are they even going to be able to make money on it right and then at the same time you have again this te- player in tesla that's going down market at a profit so it's it's starting to really play out and then the fact that you have an economy that seems to be straining right now with a huge demand for a affordable car in reality there's only one player that we know of in the west that can that's able to uh create an affordable car at profit at profit which is by far the most important part here um yeah so i just wanted to wrap it in a bow i don't know if anybody had any other comments around that topic and then we'll hit noah's and then we'll do q a go ahead ishan there's a story from india that i think has
4: something Learn from uh, with respect to this. So, I don't know how many of you heard the story of uh, the Nano. It was a car by uh, the Tata Group. Yes. And it was like supposed to be really cheap. Uh, So, one lakh rupees at that time, conversion rate would have been around 60, 65. Uh, So, almost like a $7,500. Car uh, as mass market as it could be. And the vision was, you know, uh, that in India you'll see uh, a lot of people on bikes, you know, husband, wife, two children on a bike, probably not wearing helmets, just chugging along. And that bike costs about 60, 70,000 Indian rupees. And um, the idea was to get these people into a very, very affordable car. What really happened? And by the way, this is a fantastic car. I absolutely love it. it it's it got a small engine, 600cc, but it's got amazing performance. Look at right? how or small a, the tires are. <laughs>
3: They're so <Yeah>. tiny.
4: <laughs> but the thing is that this car did not sell. And you know why? The performance was not an issue. Uh, it was a marketing issue. They ended up marketing it as the cheapest car, like the most affordable car, cheapest car, and then uh, it really hit a spot where people did not want to get identified with um, cheapest, and people didn't buy it. I mean, they, they were like, I'll keep the bike, I'll not buy the car, wherein, you know, buying a car is like a huge deal for a majority of the population in India so what we learn at least what i learned from this is that you can't just throw out a car with certain things you have it has to be appealing and it has to be appealing not just from uh, features from a performance uh, perspective but from um, an emotional perspective as well right for somebody uh, who's going to drop $20,000, 25000 dollars on a car um, why would he or she not buy a used gas or a used uh, EV versus a new $25,000, you know, Volkswagen, what it uh, released was basically a mini golf. It's called the Polo in India. And they've just done an electric version of that. So this is a big question. Like if you're gonna release a car that does not have uh, the very basic minimums of performance of features, etc. People are not going to buy it regardless of how cheap you make it because cheap is not always a driving factor. Value is, right? And there comes a time when people do understand that cheap does not offer value.
0: Very so, good point. Yeah. yeah, that those are phenomenal points. It has to be a compelling, affordable car, a compelling, affordable car. Go ahead, Bob.
1: Yeah, I was thinking earlier, and it's kind of indirectly re- relating to the opposite end of what Ishan was just talking so eloquently about. Um, um, I we have a issue. So our issue is we all believe the Tesla products are brilliant, but the issue is why doesn't the other guy believe that? And so it's not a matter of me being convinced that the products are great because they are. It's me being kind of push to question my beliefs based upon the guy next door, just not getting it. So that's how I look at it in terms of that's the quality of the product. It's kind of the opposite end of what Ishan was saying. So go ahead.
2: Yeah. I think there's some brand damage there for lack of a better term because of the FUD that's been happening for years and years and years. Like I keep running into people and some of my employees and um, coworkers, what have you, they, they still have this kind of negative brand image of Tesla that they're hard to repair, that, you know, they're not well-made <laughs> that they're, you know, they're still struggling as a up and coming startup company company where a, a lot of those issues have been kind of addressed at this point, or at least mostly addressed. Um, and then they're worried about the maintenance of a car and it's just like, it, th- that's like a lot of maybe, uh, old news or news that might've been more truthful then versus now, whereas like, we know in our community, the, um, repair cost is a lot lower in the, uh, frequency of repairs a lot lower than, you know, a gas car, but it's still not in the heads of those folks.
0: So I think my, my counter argument to that is then how come Tesla is able to generate so much demand with zero advertising and marketing? So t- to me, what it says is so, that that, that those folks are the minority. They're not the majority. I'd
4: probably, I'd probably say that it is a function of butts and seats as Zach and Jesse would say, you know, butts and seats and uh, every time you uh, put somebody into a Tesla, that person will probably help put another two. And it's an exponential function, right? And we, our brains, most of our brains cannot model that. Um, also, uh, you know,
0: there's,
4: there's something about the human brain, and especially today, that when we uh, think of something and we associate it with snake oil, it's very hard to change our mind. It's very quick. To make the association of something with uh, snake oil, and to uh, what you were saying, Noah, that you know, years and years of FUD has actually done that to a large, amount of, you know, large percentage of the population. But what we do see is that when you get somebody into a Tesla, you know, not even driving, just uh, you know, in a Tesla, get a feel for it, you know, that snake oil idea just vanishes. Whereas in general, it's really, really hard to change people's perception uh, when it comes to, you know, something that they believe is false or incorrect or just not worth it. Uh, they always want, it's it's basically confirmation bias, right? So um, that that is, I think, uh, a big deal, but I would say that it's a huge win that, you know, one experience with the Tesla and people, this completely changed their view, uh, view about it that is the most uh the biggest win i think that tesla has in as part of its growth story and it's a very underestimated point
0: i agree let me let me tell an anecdote real quick i can't i don't remember if i said this before we'll go to hans and then we'll go to Noah. um i was at my barber shop and my barber was like um uh, it, he was talking about the Daniel dowd super bowl commercial you know Oh, I heard these things We're finally talking about my car after like months of me going to this. like, Oh, I noticed you drive this Tesla. I saw this commercial. They're dangerous. Right. I'm like, what? Not this clown. Come on. You can't listen to like to clown. O'Dowd, Right. Shout out Dan. You're watching this. You're not whatever. I'm not going to say anything else. I don't want to get sued, uh, <laughs> but I, I got him in the car. Right. And, and he's like, yeah, I was really interested. I'm curious to see how this works. I'm like, okay. We'll just go around the lap and I'll, and I'll self drive. And all I had to do was just floor the car. And everything melted to Ishan's point. It was like medicine for for the brand image. You just put him in the passenger seat. You floor the pedal for one seconds. They giggle like a schoolgirl, and they're like, "This is the future," and that's it. And then it drove it, itself around the block, and it parked. It, you know, it didn't park itself. But it took itself to the parking lot of the barber shop. And he's just looking. I was like, "Man, this is 2050. This is 2050, right? The year 2050. Like it's like, yeah." So that the more that happens, to Ishan's point, I think it's it's a self fulfilling prophecy. It will take care of itself. Uh, Hans and then Noah. I just
3: thought the uh, confirmation bias comment was funny because it made me think of the very very real real Nikola ID two that Volkswagen just released. <laughs> I was like, when I see that, that's the exact like this is snake oil. To the max like there's no way volkswagen is ever going to produce these in volume
2: anytime in the next five years like it's just
0: not going to happen
2: yeah I, I was just going to mention that um i've had some similar experiences as far as I, They're they're the best as to, to get somebody to think differently about the car but i would still say at least in my uh subjective experience it's still the minority of people who think uh positively about Tesla, generally speaking, I would still say the tide hasn't quite turned in the mainstream, like at least in my peers and my friends and the people that I've. But I think that's inevitable because there's only what, five or 6%
3: penetration of EVs to like the total global or even the US fleet. So I think it just is going to take a while of doing the butts and seats things. You know, once we're at 30 or 40% EVs in the US fleet, You'll probably see that flip. For sure.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's like you're saying, um, that slow burn, but I think it's inevitable. Like, I think we all think it's inevitable that will, that will turn, the tide will turn eventually.
0: Just wait until cyber trucks on the road. I mean, it's, they're already going max capacity. Fill the cyber truck on the road. Come on, guys. <laughs> While the economy is like faltering and then you introduce this $25,000 car that you're going to be able to get 250 bucks a month, forget it. It's over. Like, it's, it's already there. It's already there. Sorry, Bob. Go ahead. And then Noah.
1: No, no sorry uh yeah hans but the oh, problem sorry is, yeah <laughs> but the problem is that uh again that relies upon the other car makers being able to get up to speed and to supply the inventory that tesla does not supply yeah. or get just out,
3: tesla out.
2: yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of curious too about what we thought as far as timeline for the Cyber Van. I know it's more of a almost like the Roadster, where it's more niche of who it's who that offering is going to be to, But like, is that Giga Mexico? You know? Uh, oh, oh, Farzad's pointing at something. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's sick. Is that a rendering? That's, that's so, yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. See if you can put me on the main screen, producer wife, so we can see the. This is an AI rendering of the Cyber Van. Look at that. That's super cool. I stole it from Dave's uh Dave Lee's Twitter. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Nice. Oh
2: no, <laughs> no. I was Did he do it
4: on stable
2: diffusion? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious about the van when we thought it was gonna come out, if it's gonna be a Giga Mexico build or you know, where, where we thought the pilot plant would be, you know.
0: That's a good question, eh? Um so it sounds like we're all we're all why am I Canadian all of a sudden? It sounds like we all have confirmed that the cyber van is coming, right? That image from the thing. I'll pull it up. Uh, Hans, I'll let you go and then uh, we can go around the horn.
3: Yeah, I expect it to definitely be produced here in the U.S. first and very likely out of Austin uh, alongside of Cybertruck. And I think we'll know based on just watching the ramp for Cybertruck. Uh, probably by the end of next year. Like if if they're able to produce anywhere near 250,000 Cybertrucks in 2024, I think we'll see a Cyber van hot on the heels of that.
2: It makes me just think of like, so traditionally we would say like it's on the same platform of, of this previous car, right? So the thought would be like the van or even a Suburban is based off of the Cybertruck platform. But it seems like there's not as much of a platform as much, uh, with the, with the cyber truck because of the exoskeleton, like there's still obviously the body compartment, um, the battery compartment underneath, but like, because it's a completely redesigned thing. And then also like when we're talking about like the next gen vehicle, like, um, the, they don't call it a model three, but the gen three vehicle, like I would assume that the cyber truck would that fall into that as well. You know, like that new style of building where it's instead of one straight line of building all the components Mm -hmm. you you know, put those components together and build the assembly once, you know, that kind of thought. I... We
0: pulled up the, uh, sorry, let me just, uh, we'll, we'll put up the the uh, slide from Investor Day, the 300 million uh, form factor there on the top r- to the right-ish of the presentation. That's what we are all thinking is the cyber van, which is right above the cyber truck, which implies it's on the same type of platform that extended Platform that's going to allow it to have a high capacity of passengers. Go ahead, Isha.
4: Yeah, I would think that it would be Austin just because Cybertruck's being, you know, uh, made there. And if we sort of presume that hey, it's going to be the similar outer, uh, you know, uh, shell we are building it, then it does make sense that you know the folding machines. It's it's a completely different set of machines that's going to do it. Right. I mean. Uh, these are folding machines that are specialized to do that kind of a fold work on super hard uh, steel. So I would presume it's going to be there. Um, I used to always, like, you know, before I used to think that uh, Fremont will generally be the place where, you know, all the niche vehicles get created, be it, you know, the SNX, the roadster, uh, the van maybe, um, and then all the mass market vehicles get into factories like your Mexico, your Texas, where they can be pushed out in large volumes, just because inherently, you know, uh, efficiencies in Fremont are always going to be lesser compared to the others. But uh, again, thinking of the van, and uh, I would presume that, you know, the best way to go about the van would basically be, you know, you have your skateboard, you've got a cover on top of the skateboard, you've got a shell and a roll cage. So you put that roll cage on the skateboard, you put the shell on top of the roll cage, and you're done, right? And then you ship it off to to your point, Fazad, you've been speaking about this. You you let somebody else uh, fit it out. So, you know, it could be a delivery van, it could be a people mover, it could be a, uh, you know, special access vehicle. A hot tub on wheels,
0: (laughs) whatever you want. Sure,
4: yeah. I mean, somebody actually created a hot tub on wheels, you know, um, one of these Netflix series, um, but <laughs> okay. Uh, but but I would I would presume that it's it's actually going to be a lot easier to make the cyber van than the cyber truck because the complexities are less. You know, you don't have a bed to deal with. The entire floor is the bed, right? You don't have like a cabin and then something on the outside. You don't have to deal with like you know the whole vehicle going. <laughs> Uh, if you put it under uh, tremendous weight, because it's it's all, you know, the weight is balanced amongst the two axles. So um, I would think that it's going to be a lot easier. It is almost uh, like, it, it is a very large market. And if Tesla can bring in a van, which is a fraction of the cost of, you know, something like the e-transit today, um, I think that's there's hardly a chance that any other players will have uh, any legs to stand on because this is, you know, nobody goes by emotions in business, you know? Um, Amazon is, probably Amazon is, but, you know, your regular uh, uh, delivery boy is not looking to show off his, you know, Oscar truck. So, yeah, Uh, this is purely economics and I think uh, that is one segment that is ready to be taken. I would presume like winner takes all umbrella strategy, about 80% you uh, know, allocation to the winner and 20% shared by the rest kind of a
1: uh, exit market share. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I was going to say, so, you know, might as well make a prediction, not just like, you know, <laughs> whatever. So I think it's, I think a lot of these products are going to be made in the future mini gigas not the big gigas, the mini size. And I think this one will come out of Florida. So I'm predicting the uh, cyber van out of Florida, 2027 coastal Florida. I I, I don't know yet the city. I'll let you know when I find out. (laughs) Um, The other part is it could be, you know, part of, we just had a great announcement about Germany, right? They just, they're going to increase the capacity without increasing the footprint, which is kind of in line with the, mini gigas, I think. So maybe there'll be a, a plant in Europe also to service Europe with vans and business vans. And maybe it'll be in Germany.
0: Got it, Sean.
4: I'm just going to add to what uh, Bob said, right? Um, Tesla is going to buy the boring company. It's going to make the Tesla van and make it the boring vehicle. And it's going to happen in Florida, just like you said.
0: Well, we're like we're going off the wall with predictions now. Okay, here's mine. I think Elon Musk will become president of the United States. That will overturn the law around being a natural born. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think I think the van will be made in Austin. I think I think the the um yeah I think it'll be made in Austin because the Cybertruck platform's there. They'll crank out probably a similar number of vans than they do Cybertrucks. I would say. I think the first van is going to roll off the lines in 2025. And uh, I think it will reach 250,000 per year in run rate by the end of 20, by the summer of 2027. I think it's going to ramp quite quickly because it's going to, because of what Ishan says, because it's easy to build. It's a shell. And I think that will be the Taxi platform.
1: Do you think that'll be a single casting?
0: Uh, I don't think it'll no. be single casting. I think it will be. A, I think it'll be a Gen three platform, sort of like parallel. Doesn't need to be. Yeah.
1: Doesn't need yeah. to be.
4: So I think that's you know, the real RoboTaxi. taxi. Front and rear with the structural path forms the base of the vehicle. You put a cover on it, and then you create a roll cage. The roll cage is essentially you know folded beams that are welded together, and then the shell. It's sort of Comes in as one big sheet that's cut out, folded, and just
2: drops on top of it. Done. Yeah. So I, I used ChatGPT to generate some info here um, about cars and trucks, or trucks and vans specifically. So light duty trucks. Um, I asked within the f- last five years what's the average number of vehicles sold worldwide that, for light like duty trucks. It's between Four like million. eighteen and it says eighteen and twenty one million. So I don't know if that's accurate. Total, right? Total worldwide, yeah. yeah. And for vans, I asked the same question, and um, it's actually a little bit more. It's about uh, 18 and a half to 21 million. So it's it's relatively similar. So the
0: This that is means total for the last how many years?
2: Fa- the average over five years, yeah. So um, according to ChatGPT, so hopefully that's 20
0: million right. trucks per year.
2: That's what it says worldwide. Yeah, I don't think that's right. How many light New light-duty trucks have been sold worldwide in the average, last five years. Average twenty
0: million. I don't it think says, that's well, right.
2: It says, it might not be right. But for vans and yeah. for trucks, that's it's what a it fifth of the whole
4: market. I mean, it's not that. Impossible.
2: That's Twenty percent of the market. But that means vans are twenty percent and trucks are twenty percent. Um, and then heavy-duty trucks, which sit above the light-duty trucks, is only two million. So it's like ten percent of that. Um, but those are the semi trucks, though, right? Um, it's like the 2500 or the F 250, 350, oh. you know, like the, those heavy duty type What? Trucks. So, 2 million
0: know. F? I don't think that's right. I don't yeah, think
2: maybe, right. maybe Chet GPT just has it wrong. I did SUVs as well and it says 32 million. So I think that's a little high.
0: I don't think that's right. I think you yeah. should uh, tweet Sam Altman and let him know that his, uh, that his for profit <laughs> company is not working very well. Let's do uh let's do hit like if Farza should stream in bathtub on wheels in two piece swimsuit. Wow. Okay. Um when we start my OnlyFans, uh be on the lookout for that. Hans and I, then
1: we'll <laughs> I think it should be a three piece, not a two piece.
0: <laughs> I think it should be uh, let's just not do that ever. I don't want to scar everybody in the in the in the human population. Hans and then we'll do end the poll and do QA. <laughs> i was just gonna say on the van i'm not entirely sure that
3: it will be cyber like i think it could very well be gen 3 platform and uh it won't be the folded stainless steel it'll be something that's cheaper and faster to produce in a modular way
0: okay okay let's do uh let's show the poll results let's bring in uh some questions from the crowd thank you all very much in the community we are uh about a thousand viewers live these things have been averaging about a thousand people each day and it typically this is like the i call it the slow season in tesla sort of things as i've been doing youtube for a little while it seems like in between quarter reports it tends to be like a little dip and the fact that we have a thousand people watching us concurrently is insane to me so thank you all very much In case you just joined us uh, half of the earnings from these uh uh, community forums on Fridays goes into a community fund for my community that you can join by clicking right below this uh, video on join you gain access to our private discord and member only content on Fridays and then the community takes half of those earnings and, and you all decide what you want to do with it. So uh, it's up to you what you want to do. Alright, so let's go ahead and bring up the poll poll results. We asked you bought your last car because of its features and utility 43% of you said that's why you bought your last car. Uh, thirty-eight percent say affordability and value, and eighteen percent say looks and performance. So very close to the to the Twitter poll. So uh, Tesla people that like Tesla have bought Tesla and follow my content specifically. They seem to value feature and utility the most, then affordability and value, affordability and value, and then uh, a distant third is looks and performance. Uh, interesting. Okay. Let's bring up some uh, questions. We'll try to go through as many as we can. Let's keep our answers brief. We only have uh, about 13 minutes, 12 minutes. And uh, it's hard with this crowd because all of us love to talk. (laughs) But we'll try our best to go through as many questions as possible. So let's bring up the first one, producer wife. And Alex, first question. Do you think Tesla will become an energy bank, allowing people to save, store, and transfer energy either in miles or kilowatt hours? That's a fascinating question. Ishan's clapping, so we'll go with you first and see what other people think.
4: You know, uh, this is like using energy as a currency. And I think this, we nearly don't have enough time to get into the weeds of this. This is a fascinating, fascinating thing. You know, um, I think this is something that's uh, almost already happening. where you are like you know with with tesla energy and uh, using your power wall to store you know energy and then transferring it when the grid needs it there's a little bit of commerce already happening i would just think about calling it a poc of a democratized or a decentralized energy economy but uh, but really uh, if you think about energy being another parallel currency to USD, right? Uh, And then we can get into talking about uh, moving into a barter system where you know your uh, goods and services can be bartered for energy, for USD, for other goods and services, and whatnot. And it's it's a completely you know um, it's such a a deep rabbit hole um, that. But then, yes, uh, absolutely, it can, it can, and I think first steps have already been taken.
0: Gee, I wonder if there's a cryptocurrency where there's proof of work of using energy to uh, ensure that the uh, that the transactions are accurate. I wonder if that's a thing. Anybody else have any thoughts around this on the panel? That's
4: another step into the rabbit
0: hole. Hans, Noah, I think it's fast. This is a fascinating question. Fascinating, fascinating question.
2: I was going to say, this is.
0: Who's going to go first?
2: Go ahead. Everybody all at once, go.
3: <laughs> it already is uh, happening <laughs> in Australia, like in other places. So this is going to be the core thesis for Megapack, that it is exactly an energy bank that balances grids and supplies low-cost energy, regardless of when it's generated to exactly the point that it's needed. At exactly the time that it's needed, in the exact correct form that it's needed, you know, because there's all different types of, yeah. Power that is consumed, whether that be 120 volts, 240, 480, um, and then different phases of power for different types of industrial applications. So, this is going to be something that, and that's you know one of the things that they talked about at the investor day was the ability of the Tesla Megapack to emulate any sort of generation asset in order to be able to balance the load on a grid. Um, And so it's absolutely like that is the definition of an energy bank. And that's just going to be one portion of Tesla's overall interaction with energy as they
0: talked about.
2: Yeah, I think that if you think of this from um, like, a production standpoint, like you have um, supply and demand. So like the supply of energy, you're incentivizing people to produce more energy. And so as the amount goes up, um, obviously the demand can go up too, but I don't think it's going to go up as much as our energy production once we start using renewables in this way. Um, so I, I don't know if the oversupply of energy is going to be profitable per se so it's i think generally speaking in the future um the way energy is going to be charged is not necessarily for the amount of consumption but just being on the grid or or paying for the initial upfront cost of installing the
1: equipment to do power if that makes sense
0: bob and then the uh, next question
1: yeah noah is just brilliant so along with his answer i was going to say is yes the answer was yes but as the cost of energy goes down, then maybe it's not as valuable.
0: Yeah, I think I think everything yeah, that fact, Tesla touches is deflationary. Yeah,
4: yeah, and uh, Roger Starkey actually uh, brought up something that Tony Seba said about it, which is too too cheap to meter and less than the cost of transmission. Yeah, I think that uh, says quite a lot.
0: Yeah, next question. And oh no question did you hear about the possible room temperature superconductors advancements at the All In podcast get jordan on that 99% cost reduction applies to batteries energy yeah i just heard about it today uh it's still experimental they still need to figure out a lot of it but if this becomes true then uh all bets are off and i feel like tesla would be at the forefront of that research any any thoughts from the panel on this I yeah
4: just... from the same podcast it's nuclear fusion right every time you think you are uh, you know that much closer to something it's just you've covered only 50 percent of the way and it's like an infinite loop
1: and and from my kids we're still a long way off i mean it's it's a long way in the future to be practical no
2: yeah i don't know about the specific um, breakthrough but for me i remember back in college from 2009 to 2012 i probably read 50 articles a week about battery technology. Cause I was like super excited about the breakthrough and hub motors and electric cars, like early in the early days. Um, and everything, although these promises kept coming and all these articles were there to, to, you know, spark my attention. Um, and 10, 12 years later, you know, we still haven't had a crazy breakthrough yet. So we, for all I know, this might be it like, it, but you know, there's been, you know, thousands of lab experiments and stuff to get us. So maybe they've broken that and they've got further along. I haven't done the research in it. It could be it, or it could be another one of those. Oh, it's promising a lot. We'll see. Yeah. If
3: only there was a company that was really great at manufacturing things and also was a foremost industry leader in battery technology. I wonder who that would be. Yeah. Um, But on that note, the other thing is that prototypes are easy and production is hard. And so, you know, even if they're able to create a successful prototype on this, ramping this to the type of scale to where it'll have that 99% cost reduction across all the industries that it can possibly touch, isn't going to take a long time. So exciting, um, but definitely, like, we're still in the way, way, way early stages. So we're uh, it's easy to be on the enthusiasm part of that Gartner hype cycle.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Next one. And Billy, community member, thank you so much for your support. Do you think there will be an artificial price floor on used Teslas at $25,000 for the next five years because of the 4,000 IRA credit for used EVs priced below $25,000? What a fascinating question. So, So the way this works is... Uh, IRA tax credit gives you um, twenty five uh, $4,000 as long as your used EV is less than $25,000. And so the thought process here is that this, all used Teslas will be 25000 to take advantage of that 4000 How do you guys think about that?
2: I think there's got to be a limit to how many times a car could be sold with that credit. So it's like if I sell it back and forth between my brother it's and myself. Once. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably once. And then the other thought would be um, not only does that help kind of create some sort of floor if it's, if you haven't sold it before, but then there's the battery and the material of the batteries like that also kind of simulates a, a floor there as well. Um, so yeah, I think there's something, I don't know if it doesn't, tra- if it's only one cell, then I don't, I don't know how relevant that's going to be in the long term though. So I think
0: Let me uh, the
2: free up.
4: market will go ahead. I think the free market will bring it to a point where, uh, it makes, um, uh, you know, sense, uh, people will hold on to their cars, not for two years, but perhaps for five, seven, nine years, where it becomes something close to a twenty five to $28,000 and then, yes, uh, it's not a price floor, I would say, but a price cap more like. And then people will have to actually sell it for less than twenty five because the dealer will have to make some money off of it. But that 4K might actually help uh, cover that cost. Now, the thing is, um, today people are buying Teslas uh, for, you know, anywhere between forty to 70000 $80,000. So it's still a ways off before somebody would be willing to sell it at the low 20s number. So I don't think that's happening anytime soon, especially for the cars that have been sold in the last couple of years um, when the prices have been steadily rising. But yes, at some point, uh, with the new uh, lesser priced Teslas entering the market and they'll be like three, four, five years old, maybe more, we'll start seeing a trend towards this number being like a cap as to what you might want to buy an old
1: uh, or used Tesla for. But I would, I might think, and this is again pure speculation, that the IRS might step in and say, if you're not selling it at fair market value, then we're going to. If you're the seller, that's what we're going to charge you for fair market value. And they'll pick up the difference, and then that will escalate the sale price because people aren't going to want to, at that point in time, there'll be no value. I don't think that exists as of now, but I wouldn't be surprised if they try to recapture the, the money that way.
0: Yeah, And so just to make sure I, I highlight this, so the IRA is, uh, will be the lesser of 4000 and thirty percent of the sales price of the vehicle, which cannot be more than twenty five thousand dollars, just to make sure. I add that thirty percent of the sales vehicle as well. Oops, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. I, I think I still think there's going to be a there's still going to be a certain cars people are just going to want to pay more than twenty five because it's just that much better. And four thousand bucks is is it's twenty percent roughly off the twenty five thousand dollar car. But at some point, if you know, if you like people are not going to press a, a price a plaid at twenty five thousand dollars because it's worth way more than that, right? So it depends what kind of car falls into that into that price range. Um, okay, so it's uh, one th- uh, two thirty, so we should probably go to our member only stream. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to go through many questions, uh, but I do want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today. Awesome stream, uh, Not Legal Advice, Hans, Noah, Ishan, Thank you all very much. When will this live stream end? Because I want to keep watching, but my baby needs a bottle soon, ha ha. Well, just listen, go feed your kid and go uh, subscribe to Not Legal Advice because for every thousand subscribers he's gonna donate $50 to the Los Angeles uh, School for Children, right? Is that the, what's the name
1: of it? Children's Hospital.
0: Children's Hospital, thank you. And if you don't do that, you hate kids. So that's how it works, okay? Guilt trip. Uh, (laughs) Richard, Hans, Noah, Ishan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're gonna move over to our members only stream. You can join us there by clicking on join right below this video. you get access to our private Discord. Plus, you'll be able to view that content, plus all the other ones we did in the past as well. Uh, thank you to the community for being in the chat. Always super res- respectful. Mods, thank you all so much again for the amazing work you do in the chat, keeping the conversation awesome. And last but not least, producer wife, the goat. Thank you so much. Love you, baby. Great job as always. Uh, fantastic discussion. Let's move it on over to the members-only chat, and we'll see you next week. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.